What is your idea of being buried? <laughs> Perhaps it isn't the most idyllic thought with which to start a sermon, but what do you think of when you hear the word buried? Are you picturing a, a gravestone? Maybe a, a casket lowered into the ground? A tomb? Do you have, like I do, claustrophobic thoughts of being buried alive, dirt filling your mouth and nostrils struggling for breath? Or what about a baby sprinkled with water at the font? How many of you pictured water flowing over your own head and a pastor saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? When I asked about your idea of being buried, did you think of baptism? I know it sounds odd, but this is how the Apostle Paul pictures baptism in Romans chapter 6 today. He calls it a burial. He pictures it as a death. And for this reason, he claims that baptism is meaningful every day of your life. So that's what we're going to explore today. I'm already dead, so now I can really live. I guess we're all probably familiar with Harriet Tubman, you know, the remarkable slave woman who led African slaves to freedom by way of the Underground Railroad. What you may not know is that when Harriet Tubman was a teenager, she tried to stop the beating of a fellow worker. And so her master hit her on the head and the, the blow cracked her skull. Harriet lingered near death for weeks, and for the rest of her life she suffered from occasional catatonic spells due to the injury. But the injury also set her free. As her biographer notes, the blow that cracked Tubman's skull struck off her psychic chains. She'd already died once. Now she had nothing to lose. Ever notice sometimes people can have an experience when they were as good as dead? Then they emerge and everything is fresh and new. I mean, I can relate in a way, having had cancer 33 years ago in a veritable death sentence, having once thought I wouldn't live past the age of 30, every day since, well, it's kind of been an opportunity to really live. Paul says that our death experience in baptism lies at the heart of the Christian life. For a couple of chapters in Romans, he's been arguing on behalf of grace. As he continues to remind us, God saves us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're made righteous, right with God, not by our own good deeds, but by the righteous work of Christ's sacrificial love. In the cross of Jesus, God has forgiven us, even before we knew we needed to be forgiven. And so the grace of God surrounds us. We can't earn it. We can only trust it and welcome its power in our lives. Not a bad deal, says the critic. <laughs> we sin and God forgives. If that's true, and it is, we can keep sinning and God will keep forgiving. We sin, God forgives. We sin, God forgives. Over and over, day after day. In fact, we can do something really, really bad and God will let us off the hook because Christ died for us. And so I can think, well... I shouldn't have too much to drink this weekend, but hey, Sunday's coming and I'll be forgiven at church. I shouldn't watch 
pornography again, but I know God's mercies are new every morning. I shouldn't harbor hate against that person, but God forgives me when I do. Paul says, no, no, no. Baptized people must not keep sinning. Why? Because they've passed out of a life of sin. I mean, look at what happened. The old you was drowned in the baptismal font. Now you're a new creation, raised to live a new life. All the powers that hurt and destroy don't have any control over you anymore. I mean, can you imagine a tightrope walker who takes two steps out on the rope and then just jumps off because they know the net will catch them? They wouldn't be much of a tightrope walker, would they? Well, we aren't much of a Christian when we do the same thing spiritually, are we? My friends, God's grace is free, but it wasn't cheap. Jesus died to forgive our sins. He endured the nails of the cross and the spit in his face and the whip on his back. So how could we who love our Lord abuse his grace? And so Paul doesn't so much answer this question as snort at it. Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? (laughs) Absolutely not. Paul says, look, we died to sin. How can we go on living in it any longer? And then almost expecting the question, what do you mean we died to sin? Paul says, or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by this baptism into his death. We were baptized into Christ's death. We were buried with him by this baptism. So a lot could be said here, but first, note that baptism is a passive action on our part, just like burial is a passive action on your part when you're dead. (laughs) When the cemetery worker is lowering your casket into the cool, dark earth, you have nothing to do with it. You're dead. (laughs) When the gravedigger is dumping dirt over your casket, You're not doing anything. Again, you're dead. You see, God is the one who acts in baptism. Baptism, in the Bible's own words, is always something that God does for us, not something we do for God. Baptism isn't a symbolic ritual for babies. It isn't just for adults when they decide to join a church. It's a sacrament, a sacred sacrament act of God. In baptism, God claims us as his children, and he forgives our sin by uniting us with the death of his son, Jesus. He takes our sinful nature and he drowns it in the waters of baptism so that a a new child would rise from the waters, reborn to honor him. I remember a man a few years ago was talking to me about his gambling problem. You know, it started small, like the football pool, a few lottery tickets, but then before he knew it, it was taking grocery money, money for the mortgage, money for retirement, and he was losing it all in the slot machines in Las Vegas. And then it got worse. 
He confessed, I lost my job, I lost my house, I lost everything and everybody dear to me. He said, I sank so low that I wanted to lose my life. Then I reminded him that he had already lost his life. He had lost it in his baptism. He had been buried with Christ through his baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, he too might also walk in a new life. Because we were buried with Christ who rose from the dead, there is new life promised in baptism. You didn't just die in the waters of baptism. You were set free. In verse 7, Paul says, For the person who has died has been declared free from sin. We're free to love God, free to love others, free to say no to sin, free to walk in a new life. Then the man realized he'd already lost his life. Everything was gone, and he couldn't pretend otherwise. And that was the day, he says, when his life began to turn around. This is why baptism is meaningful every day of your life, because it reminds you that you too have been born again. Every day you can look in the mirror and remember that you walk in a new life. Despite what you've done in the past, despite what others might say or think, you were baptized, you died with Christ. And now you're set free from sin. So living in our baptism means, first of all, having faith in what God has said, trusting in his word, even when it doesn't feel true to us. For instance, you may become very discouraged by your daily struggle against sin, and you might feel like you've got no power. But your baptism reminds you that that's just simply not true. If Jesus broke the power of sin, it can't rule over you. If Jesus died to sin, well, so did you. And if Jesus is alive, then so are you. In fact, Paul ends this section by saying, in the same way, also consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, prepare for a real fight. The battle of faith is not just in the will, it's in our understanding and what we believe to be true. We're to think of ourselves as dead to sin, even when we don't feel like it. We're to believe that we will have the strength to obey, even when we don't see it before the test comes. Christians are those who have been set free to fight against sin. And so if you live in your baptism, you should remember that our faith consists not in the absence of struggle, but in the daily spiritual battle to overcome our sinful nature. So I'm going to close today with an application and then an invitation. The application is that the practice of confession and absolution, just like we do at the beginning of every worship service, well, it's just a small recreation of baptism. We confess our sinfulness 
and then hear that our sins have been put away and forgiven by Christ. You know, Martin Luther used to joke that the sinful nature is drowned in baptism, but he's a really good swimmer. We need to confess our sins and remember God's forgiveness often. We can't let our sinful nature come up for a breath. Let us die each day with Christ and rise to walk in a new life through repentance and confession. Really, there's no better way to start your morning than with a small prayer of confession and taking a moment to revel in God's love and forgiveness. I don't know, maybe let the water in the shower remind you of the cleansing flood of your baptism. I've got a friend who says that he washes his hands every morning and just thinks of his baptism. Finally, I'd like to include an invitation to baptism if you or anyone in your family isn't baptized because there's no wrong time to be baptized. It is all God's act. It is His grace in action. Even if you are already a believer, already a church member, if you've not been baptized, it is a powerful gift of the Holy Spirit and it will strengthen your unity with Christ. So if you'd like to be baptized or have someone baptized, just contact me. And let us give thanks for our burial and resurrection with Christ. And let us remember our baptism every day. You are already dead. Why don't you start really living? Amen. <laughs>